Hello and welcome back to the Face Yoga Expert podcast. This week I am chatting to Michael James Wong. He's an author, speaker, community leader, meditation teacher who is dedicated to expanding the conversation around mind and mental health. He's internationally recognized for his work in the wellness community as both an advocate and an entrepreneur. And in this episode, we chat about all things yoga, mindfulness, and taking those small yet important steps to feeling healthier and happier. And talking about taking steps to feel healthier and happier, I just want to remind you about my teacher training courses. So if you don't already know, one of the main things that I offer within my plethora of passions that I have is face yoga teacher training, as well as our facial gua sha teacher training. And it is a wonderful course, which you can do as self-study. You can do it in your own time, at your own pace, and you do a practical exam at the end, and then you do a written exam as well. You spend a little bit of time with either myself or one of our super trainers on a video call. So if you'd like more information about how you can get started, how you can start your career in face yoga and facial gua sha, how you can use it as a side hustle, how you can just upskill yourself and learn more for yourself, go to faceyogaexpert.com and all the information is on there. So let's get into this week's episode. Michael, a warm welcome to the Face Yoga Expert podcast. How are you today? Good, thank you. So nice to be here. How are you? I am really well, thank you. And I'm really excited to chat to you. I've been following you on social media for a few years now. And this week I've had the pleasure to go through your website, which may I say is very inspiring. Um, And it's really interesting actually, because I'm reading a a book at the moment called Start With Why. It's a book I reckon it's probably about 15 years old, maybe older, but it's all about everything that we do within our business, within our life but certainly within our careers we need to start with why I don't know if you've you've read this book but as I um as I went through your website everything that was written on there felt like it was speaking to me through your why which I found hugely inspiring and is that something that you you sort of did deliberately and consciously or is it something that just comes out through everything that you do Oh, well, first off, let me say thank you for saying that. It's very kind of you. You know, for the nature of my life and and subsequently now my work, you know, I, I suppose the way that I tend to approach everything or my why is is to allow everyone to feel a sense of belonging in a way that allows them to feel like they are a part of something, a part of community, a part of a, a sense of of feeling like they're not alone. And so by nature of my work, it's about how do we do that in different ways that relates to people's lives. You know, with our Just Breathe project, it's very much about how do we create a space for mindfulness, meditation, well-being, but a space where people can come together, feel like they belong together, and we don't have to bring with us kind of any weight or baggage or expectations that come with kind of being in spaces with each other. So, you know, I've always tried to do that in my work and be that in my life and do my best to articulate that, I suppose, in things like websites and places where we kind of share what we do. Well, you do do that very well. And I'm really intrigued to know where your passion, where your why came from originally. I think for me, and perhaps like a lot of people listening, it it came from my own personal experiences. You know, originally I was born in New Zealand. I grew up in the US, live here in the UK now. And being both 
from a lot of different places and being of an ethnic minority as well. There's a lot of times in my life where I felt like an outsider. I felt like I didn't have a sense of this is my community or this is where I belonged. And so for me, it was always built on this essence of, you know, feeling remembering those times where I felt welcome, those places where I was included, those kind of communities where I was welcomed into. And then now being able to create that sense of, of space for others. And so I, I suppose the origins for a lot of us always comes back to our own personal experiences. And for me, knowing what it feels like to be on the outside makes it for, uh, you know really important for me to to do this work that allows people to feel like they're well, part of the inside and never on the outside. I love that. And I know one of the ways that you do that is sort of trying to get rid of, I suppose, the stigma of men doing yoga and meditation. Is again, that's something part of that why of wanting to help people belong and be part of something. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the project you're talking about is Boys of Yoga. And that was a project we started back in about 2016, really to change the perspective on how practices like yoga are inclusive for all. And by natural and natural currents of how yoga was popularized in the West, you know, it became very stereotypical, very one-dimensional. And for me, being of an outsider of that perspective, um, it was how do we create another point of dialogue uh, shift the lens a different way and celebrate a conversation that already exists that just doesn't necessarily get as much visibility as the mainstream one. And so that was to break down the stereotype that it's for a certain type of person. It was to destigmatize it that you had to look a certain way or achieve a certain aspect of something. And it was really about opening as many doors as possible so people who might not feel it's related or relevant for them can find a different doorway in. And then once they're inside, they can find that the practice is so beneficial for their lives. That's amazing. And have you, have you personally seen that, you know, many men going into that boys of yoga community have had transformations that you would have hoped that they've had? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm lucky to be part of those conversations where people can come in a little bit resistant or a little bit skeptical or a little bit unsure, uncertain. And that's a natural thing when you're stepping into an environment that's unfamiliar or you're starting something that's brand new or you're doing something that maybe was recommended for you from like a doctor or a loved one that you might not even want to do. But then being along that journey over you know months and years and seeing how people change not, not even physically, not flexible, but just personality, the, the sense of their own well-being, their sense of uh, their own mental health and their personality uplift, you know, just that sense of people have had huge shifts and, you know, being a little small part of that by giving them a space in which they can practice, share, try, explore has been really rewarding uh, for me to be just part of that little narrative of people's own personal development and change. Wonderful. And tell me a little bit about the role of yoga and meditation within your own personal life. Sure. I mean, and, and, and a lot of people will know this, you know, yoga is not a practice per se. It's not 60 minutes, you go do this thing on a mat or you go do this form of exercise or movement. It's a perspective. It's a way of life. It's a principle of beliefs, a system of values. And while I have my own personal practices, you know, a, a yoga practice, a physical practice, a meditation practice, a breathwork practice, those are tools. You know, those are kind of the utensils in how we tend to, you know, uh, fill ourselves up. 
And so for me, it's, it's always staying close to the philosophy of the practice, the perspective of why it's important and how it relates into a bigger picture of my life and lifestyle, my sense of beliefs and my own personal values, and allowing that to be perhaps a filter or a baseline in which I can outwardly look at the world and then have these tools like a physical practice or a meditation practice to remind myself how to bring that into everyday life and to remind myself that we do need different support resources and elements like that to really ensure that we have a daily connection for our well-being. Absolutely. And I completely agree with you. You know, yoga and meditation really becomes part of who you are and becomes part of who your life rather than that sort of very structured, you know, it has to be this time every day. Um, Although saying that, do you have a a structure? Do you wake up and do a meditation practice? Do you have a sort of a time or day of the week that you'll go to a yoga class, for example? Sure. Um, I'd like to say yes, but the, the reality is no. And I think the truth about it is that life goes in ups and downs and waves. Maybe when I was a bit younger and I didn't have children, I didn't have such a busy schedule. Yeah, I could keep a pretty set routine. You know, I'd get up at seven, I'd do a morning practice, I'd do a meditation, I'd do a bit of work, I'd go for a walk. You know, all those, let's say, habitual joys of having full control of your schedule and your time. I think as I've gotten older and I've had uh, more responsibility, more evolution in my life, you know, the practice is consistent daily, but the time on the mat changes. Some days it's 10 minutes here after the babies go to bed. Sometimes it's 45 minutes in the middle of the day instead of a lunch break. And sometimes meditation is, you know, uh, sitting and doing a, you know, a visualization for five minutes. And the next day it might be doing something else purely because it's about, it's supporting my life as it is now, as opposed to trying to fit my life around the practice. Yeah. I mean, I'm completely with you with that. I have a a six-year-old and a 10-year-old daughter Mm -hmm. and I'm exactly the same. You know, people ask me all the time, particularly when I'm doing podcasts, you know, Danielle, are you doing a a regular morning meditation? What does your morning routine look like? And I say, actually, I don't have a morning routine, you know, because I have got those other responsibilities in my life. But what I have is I call them my three self-care non-negotiables every day. And that's yoga. So some form of yoga, I mean, sometimes that will literally be child's pose for three minutes other times it may be a you know higher intensity stronger practice it really depends on my time my schedule my mood my my cycle everything a walk in nature or walk in fresh air in in some way and of course face yoga as well which is is a big part of my life so I try and fit those three things in every day but I let go a very long time ago of that structure you know having to say okay I'm going to do a 6am meditation practice I'm going to do a 9pm wind down yoga because that just isn't possible and I think that the more that people like you and I can talk about that the more it normalizes that because you know people are often shocked to hear that I don't have that that structure and, and that morning routine and often people say well why don't you get up earlier and then you could have the structure but actually structure isn't what gives us our wellness and our inner peace consistency definitely but it doesn't have to necessarily always be the same time, same place every day. Yeah, and I, I uh, holistically agree with that. And I think we need to remember that yoga as a practice is is a support system 
right? Very much the same way as we have families as a support system, we have friends. And if we try to be too stringent with it, if we try to mandate a certain amount of time or FaceTime with it, you know, the same way as if you're like, well, I need to spend this much time with this child and that much time with that parent and that much time with that friend, it no longer becomes a support system rather than an obligation. And when we shift our mindsets towards obligation, we then start to stick into a place of resentment that can come from when we have obligation that's not matched by uh, achievement or uh, accomplishment. And I think for me as a teacher, and I've been teaching for almost 20 years now, you know, I've gone through those waves of very strict get up at this time you practice. And I would tell my students, you do this at this time, you have these things that you do. What tends to happen is you have a certain personality that says, great, I love the structure. I love the ritual and the routine. It serves me well. But a lot of times those people have the freedom of choice with their time. They have a little bit more of the space of what is priority in a day. And right now, for me, if you're asking me to prioritize 45 minutes on a yoga mat or 45 minutes with my children while they're awake and you know being able to have breakfast with them, it's not a difficult decision. You know, I can find time elsewhere to move around and to make sure I'm healthy and exercising, but it doesn't need to be at a certain time because the practice of yoga is flexible by nature of what it is. And I'd rather it be flexible around the things that are important in my life as opposed to the things in my in, in my life that are important be flexible around something that naturally can be movable. Absolutely, completely agree. And how has your sort of 20 years of yoga and meditation helped you navigate life as a parent? Because of course, we have so many challenges, you know, in those early days, we have sleep deprivation, um, our structure and our routine and our priorities hugely change. Have you found that those tools that you set up prior to becoming a parent have helped you through? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, let's say the yoga and the meditation practice has been one of the best preparations for being a parent. You know, we all walk into this thinking we have a little bit of an idea of how it's going to go, but we really in truth have no idea. And we kind of make it up as we go every day and every day is a different day. And while some days there's routine and other days there's habit and other days there's excitement, there's days that go sideways and days that kind of go a bit upside down. And so through a yoga practice and a mindfulness practice, the tools that I've gained over the years is really able to kind of slow things down, take a step back, be a little less reactive and add a little bit of perspective or insight into the situation. You know, is it the end of the world if, you know, they don't drink as much out of the bottle as we think we should, or the, you know, the doctor said they should, is it the end of the world? Um, you know, if they go to sleep 15 minutes earlier, 15 minutes later, you know, the sleep specialist will say, yes, it's absolutely important, but maybe in the bigger picture, is that going to make the rest of the time more difficult? Is it going to stress me out so much that then I'm going to kind of, that's going to impact my relationship in that day and how I'm kind of handling the situation. So the tools for me have really just been about, can I slow down, step back, see the bigger picture, and also be of service as much as possible in the practice that is yoga to my family. Yeah, for sure. And those sort of small steps I know that you often talk about on, on your website or social media and your teachings, I'd love to get into those a little bit because I I teach in that way as well. You know, those small steps to get us started with our health, with our wellness, with our yoga, with our meditation. If someone listening to this is saying, you know, I really want to start taking small steps to feel calmer, to feel healthier and to feel happier. What would your advice be to get started? 
Yeah, I, it's it's a really important thing that the idea of small steps is to is is to not think that we need to get anywhere too fast. And I think too quickly, especially these days in the world of wellness and how things are always talked about out there in the mainstream media or social media landscape, is that we think that being here is not as good as being there and we need to get there quickly and we need to achieve something. And so the idea of small steps is to simply just make things as simple as possible because with simplicity, we allow ourselves to feel something, understand something, and then realistically do it again. Right. And so if we need to, you know, find a little bit more time in our day, because we feel a little bit stressed out and we feel like we're coming and going off the rails a little bit, it's not, the first step's not, okay, well, I need you to do a 60-minute yoga practice, or I need you to do a 20-minute meditation, or I need you to go for a walk for an hour. It's, okay, in those busy moments, can you literally just stand up, go outside for two minutes, come back inside? Can you put your phone down and go just sit on the sofa for two minutes? I don't need to jump you straight into techniques to downregulate you. Sometimes it's simply just break the moment up into something that shifts, right? That calms, that quietens. And as humans, we innately have that ability to do so. But if we too quickly try to intellectualize our downregulation or quieting moments, then all we're doing is you're taking an A-type personality and then giving them an A-type kind of response to how to fix something when the truth is we're trying to get you out of your mind, into your body, or into a space where it's just calmer and quieter. So taking a small step is just to do less well. I love that. And almost letting go and surrendering, you know, yeah, hearing absolutely. you saying as well, for sure. And something which I teach a lot, and I know that you're hugely passionate about, is breath and breath work mm-hmm. and the power of, of breathing. Um, talk to me a little bit about breath and, and why correct, deep, mindful, conscious breath is important for you personally, but also really important in your teachings. I mean, the, the breath, the, the, the focus on the breath now is, is I find a really interesting topic. Um, over the past few years, it's become far more interesting for people to be aware of how the breath can actually support the way in which we live every single day lives. You know, the, the, the baseline of breath work is the manipulation of how we breathe. Right. And when we manipulate the breath, we allow ourselves to have a different uh, impact on how air is moved blood circulates, how the body moves. And what's really, I find fascinating is that, you know, now more than ever, we can use the breath as tools to create different experiences. A lot of times we use them to take big conscious breaths, to calm down, to downregulate the nervous system, to shift us away into something that is a little less stressful. But the breath can also be used to warm us, to energize us, to excite us, to create a different uplift in our own uh, way of thinking or feeling. Uh, I come from a, a long, I suppose, chronic asthma background. And so I've always had a very, very close, intimate relationship with the breath on, unfortunately, less about its value, but more about how it can be taken away from you, how can it can be restricted, how you can feel like you can't breathe. And so for me, you know, having a breath practice is really essential because physiologically, it's what I need to do to enable to breathe at a, at a similar capacity to someone who doesn't have asthma, someone like yourself or anyone listening. You know, I naturally breathe by default at about 40 to 60% of what a normal person would do. So for me, breathwork exercises, pranayama exercises are there to actually keep me healthy, to stretch my lungs, to open up my airways, to give me capacity to actually 
feel like it's not as a focus of every single breath. So for me, it's a huge part of my well-being um, because it comes from a clinical point of view, not just a well-being point of view. But for people listening, it might not be the case. It might just be, you know, actually what we use the breath for is to amplify a sense of awareness on how we can actually use the innate tools that we have, like our breath, to have such impactful support in our everyday lives. Amazing. And how do you teach this through your Just Breathe project? Sure. I mean, techniques are one thing. And when you start to lean into breath work, techniques are a big part of it. Um, But techniques are not the only part. You know, there's an element of understanding the bigger picture of how breath work impacts our lives. So even uh, before you kind of learn different breath count techniques, different techniques of where you breathe in the body or in the nose or in the throat, it's really recognizing that in order to breathe is to first become aware of the state that we're in. How do we become a little bit more of an observer to what's going on in the moment? And then we start to say, okay, this is what I can do to support that. Or I feel like this and I'd like to feel like this. This is what I can do. So for us to just breathe, we have a different, a few different resources. We have the Just Breathe app with a lot of kind of breathing practices on there and meditation practices and a lot of different events and retreats. And um, especially for people who <clears throat> have a little bit more of an awareness and want to go deeper, we have uh, a teacher training, which allows people to learn more about, let's call it the intellectual, clinical, and scientific aspects of how the breath works in the body, as well as being able to facilitate that to support others. Wonderful. And do you come across many sort of myths, I guess, when it comes to meditation, breath work and yoga? You know, do you find that people have created certain stories around it? We talked a little bit about um, men and often the stigma around, around men doing yoga. But over your 20 years, are there any particular myths you've come across? And if so, how do you bust those myths? I mean, there, there's always there's always myths with everything, and, and myths are usually based off one of a few things. One is someone creating a story around something that maybe creates a little bit more appeal or a little bit more focus on an aspect of a practice, or myths come from lack of enough knowledge or understanding of, of what is going on or what actually happens. And so, for example, if you've never been to maybe a yoga class or you've never been to a meditation session, a myth might be created by simply someone telling you what happened or their personal experiences that might have been challenging for them that then someone has taken and then, you know, taken as truth, you know, they go, okay, well, a a yoga practice is really challenging for me because I'm not very flexible. And so it was really hard. Well, for that person, it was probably hard because there was an element of of resistance in the body and uh, not enough awareness or maybe not yet enough knowledge on how to practice to open the body. And so a myth can be created or maybe through a group of friends by saying, oh, it's a really difficult practice. The same with meditation. Oh, it's really boring because you just sit there and you have your eyes closed. Well, maybe perhaps that person's experience was they weren't given enough awareness on what they should do when their eyes are closed or how the mind works in those environments or how we shift point of awareness to use that quietness or boredom to a beneficial kind of method of easing the intellectual thought. And so oftentimes, you know, the common things you're going to hear in things like yoga is, oh, well, I'm not flexible, so I can't go to yoga, right? And that's the big one. And these ones are very commonplace. And the irony that you have with things like yoga and meditation that you don't tend to find in almost any other discipline is that because it's hard, I shouldn't do, right? 
So it's a bit like, well, okay, well, you know, and, and typical responses as yoga teachers we give, okay, well, it's like saying, oh, I can't take a shower because I'm too dirty or I can't have dinner because I'm too hungry, right? There's an irony in that where straight away the human psychology goes, oh, well, that's why you should do it. Whereas in yoga, sometimes we come and people come to class and they go, oh, I can't come to, or I can't do yoga because I'm just not flexible enough. And then I just say, great, that's why you're here. That's what we're here for. And so that for me is both myth and stereotype, but in a way that allows such a great first point of conversation to, to, to reveal benefits that really allow people to experience the true value of the practice when they step past or through a door that just says, you know what, I'm just happy to try. Let's see what happens. Yeah. And that goes back to those first steps and those small mm. steps that we talked about. And what do you think the first step is in terms of entry into yoga? You know, if someone is thinking, you know, actually, I want to start yoga, but, and then they are saying many of the things that you have, have described there, but many other stories. And we all know that we create yeah. narratives with our, in our own mind, which can often then be barriers to us doing what we want. What would you say first step is? Would you say it's just connecting with the breath, taking the step to book a yoga class, starting with one pose at home? Do you feel that there's sort of a a generic small step or do you feel it's quite individual? I wouldn't say it's a generic first step, but I think the first step to all of these kinds of practices is, is really starting to become more aware of how you feel in the moment. And and it can sound a little bit generic in that sense. And, you know, it can easily be too quickly, okay, we'll go to a yoga class or go sign up for a meditation app. And these things aren't the first step. Those are steps like three, four, five down the road. And sometimes for people, it's, we work so much, we're so busy, we're thinking about a million things. Can you actually take a moment to notice how you feel in this exact moment? Do you feel a bit tight? Do you feel a bit... You know, like you've got your shoulders up by your ears. Do you feel like your breath's moving a bit fast? When we start to create self-awareness, self-awareness then opens doors into then what do we do about that? And yoga, meditation, mindfulness, these are practices that can support those moments where this, I feel like this, what do I do about that? Okay, now go to a yoga practice. Now try a meditation app. Now take a single breath. But if you don't realize you're breathing really short, shallow and sharp, and you're feeling a bit panicked and you're feeling a bit stressed, and you just think, oh, this is just how life is, until we have that self-awareness to say, this is how I feel, then that's a first point. And so what I'll tend to say to people is, I use kind of a mantra or an affirmation that just says, notice what you notice and feel what you feel. And when you do those two things, light bulbs switch on and the mind kind of goes, oh, I'm noticing I'm a bit tight in the shoulders and I'm feeling a bit stressed. Great. There's a great reason to try something. And maybe that's yoga. Maybe that's meditation. Maybe that's going for, you know, to do a little stretch, whatever it is. But until you're aware, we don't yet have the foresight to see the benefits of practices like these. Yes, I agree. Awareness is so important and always the first step to change. And I think all of us can cultivate that awareness just by being in the present moment. Um, Our minds are racing all the time about what we're going to do in the future and about our past. But as soon as we become present and we just listen and we tune in, we not only have that awareness, um, but we also have that intuition to know Mm. what those steps are going to be ourselves. Because, you know, I always say to people you are your greatest teacher you know you are your own guru Um, you just need to pause you just need to listen you just need to be present 
And you have the answers. You know, I think we, well, I believe deeply that we all innately know what we need for our bodies. We all innately know what we need for our minds. We know how to heal. We have those tools within us. But I think you said it so beautifully that awareness is the key there. And I'd love to just finish off by talking a little bit about what's next for you. So what's next for you personally? What's your sort of your hopes and your passions and dreams for next year, but then the coming few years? But also I'd love you to touch on what your hopes are universally as well, which I know is a big question. And you may want to keep that to sort of yoga, meditation, mindfulness, or you may want to take that to a wider perspective. So what's next for me personally, as we kind of roll towards the end of the year and onwards into the new year, you know, as we come out of things like the pandemic, as we come out of things of being a little bored and nested at home, you know, I'm, I'm very excited to kind of, let's say, go back out into the community. Um, we have a lot more events, a lot more travel, a lot more ways in which we can continue to do, or I can continue to do this work in places that aren't necessarily just here in London. And I'm excited to see how that is responded after such a big moment in all of our global cultural history, you know, which tends to to lead me to the second part of your question is what do I hope to see next universally? And, and while that's such a big question and a topic, you know, what I am most excited about is how much more uh, goodwill there is towards these practices, how much more visibility and awareness there is to these practices. And while there's maybe not yet enough, let's call it wider appeal or enough space for it to expand into a deeper sense, what we've come into is probably a first phase of global awareness of the value of yoga, meditation, mindfulness, well-being, all these kind of practices and a lot of a lot of lesser up, up and coming disciplines or newer disciplines or practices. Uh, but the mindset towards supporting our mind and our mental health, the mindset towards recognizing that we need to have uh, self-awareness, self-care, self, uh, self-respect is really important. And I think no longer are we in a, in a place where we just believe that success is built on productivity and hours in office or you know hours behind screen. And our well-being is now shifted into a priority position for our everyday lives. And I'm very excited to see what comes of that next. And I think there's a huge need and a calling for more teachers in these spaces and in these disciplines and in these practices to really support the growing need of interest that's there now. And with that together, I'm really hoping there's a, a huge shift towards a greater sense of you know, compassionate awareness and personal growth and self-development and community uplift because of this. Wonderful. And Michael, if people would like to know more about all your amazing projects, your books and follow you on social media, could you please let everyone know where they can find you? You, you can find me pretty easily uh, on, on all social platforms and websites. Um, the main things, you can just look up me as my name, Michael James Wong. We also have Just Breathe Project, which is on Instagram. So Just Breathe and then Boys of Yoga and then Krama Yoga School for anyone who's interested in yoga, teacher trainings and diving deeper into that aspect. But all roads tend to lead there if you just type in my name. Wonderful. Michael, thank you so much for being such an inspirational guest. It's been a pleasure to chat to you. Likewise, thank you so much for being here. 
So I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you'd like more information on face yoga or you'd like to become a face yoga teacher, just head to our website, faceyogaexpert.com for more information. If you'd like to do a regular structured daily face yoga program to get the best results, you can either use one of my apps, just search Danielle Collins on your app store, or you can use my book, just search Danielle Collins Face Yoga on Amazon. And thank you for joining me today. And I look forward to seeing you again next time.